Happy to Keg Daily is live for Friday. It is August 25th. We are talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo's comments and why you should not panic about them. We're also going to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers and the San Diego Padres series, as well as a look back to CC Sabathia's awesome, unbelievable 2008 season. Lastly, we will talk about the safety position for the Green Bay Packers. Is it as much of a problem as the sub are making it out to be? Uh, before we get going, just a reminder, Tap the Keg on Twitter, Tap the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook, for that matter. Uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the pod. Uh, you can do that on Apple. You can do that on Spotify. You can do that really wherever you get your podcasts. We are we are there for you. Um, and if you're already subscribed, make sure you're leaving a rating and review. I uh, would really appreciate that. Or dropping uh, this podcast or others in, in group chats. Get the, get the word out. Tell people about us. Uh, that would really, we really appreciate that. We know that you guys all support, um, and it's it's greatly appreciated. So thank you for that. Uh, we will get into Antetokounmpo's comments. Yas Antetokounmpo met with the New York Times for a longer article. Uh, the article, I think, would best be described as like a combination of where Giannis is at uh, to start the season, as well as you know all of his business ventures and kind of where. You know, he's going and just the family uh, unit that they have built and sort of the business that him, Thanasis, Kostas, Alex have built. Um, Kostas, you don't really hear much about. It's really Giannis and Alex or Giannis and Thanasis. Uh, but, and Alex was prominently featured in the article. That said, there were nuggets to take away. There was stuff for the national media to talk about, whether it's today or heading into the NBA season. Antetokounmpo said this about not signing an extension next summer. Uh, I would not be the best version of myself if I don't know everybody's on the same page, everybody going for a championship, everybody going to sacrifice time away from their family like I do. If I don't feel that, I'm not signing. Antetokounmpo also put this in there. At the end of the day, being a winner, it's over that goal. Uh, winning a championship comes first. I do not want to be on the, I want to be 20 years on the same team and don't want to win another championship. He also talked about you know, vibing with Adrian Griffin and making sure that they're on the same page and everything else. So there's obviously a lot to pull back from. There's a lot of, of the onion to peel there. Uh, and you could see why some people might freak out if you know Giannis was a normal NBA athlete. Because when you hear these things, it's, it usually comes with a Woj notification a few days later that so-and-so is demanding a trade. That is not what Giannis Antetokounmpo is doing. Giannis Antetokounmpo talks about this stuff all the time. Giannis Antetokounmpo is very committed to winning a title. He has always been very steadfast in that. And this is pretty much what he says every year, um, that you know the goal should be winning a championship and that that is really the only goal. The sacrificing time away from family is interesting, which we can talk about here in a second. The I only want to win one championship in 20 years is interesting. Those are those are different comments. I don't think we've heard those from Antetokounmpo yet. I still don't think that that is anything to panic about. That's anything to sound the alarm. Uh, because I think, first of all, that Antetokounmpo just wants to win. He wants to be a winner. He wants to be, you know, the guy. And he wants to make sure that he is not just in that Dirk Nowitzki camp of they've only won one title, right? I don't even think he wants to really be in that Olajuwon camp of they've only won two titles. I think he wants to win three or four titles. Now, what Antetokounmpo, I don't know if he doesn't get, because obviously he's in it every day, 
But we say this all the time about sports, and it bears repeating in this category. It's very fucking hard to win a title. Like, Giannis, there's a world where Giannis has two titles already. There's a world where Giannis has two titles because the Bucs were able to beat the Celtics with Chris Middleton. They were able to survive the heat. Again, we talked about that in retrospect this summer that I don't know if that would actually happen, but let's just play it out. And they had a total mismatch over the Golden State Warriors. Now, the Golden State Warriors would have tried to shoot him out of the gym. Who knows what would have been the outcome there. But there's a world where the Bucs have two titles already. And Giannis is a two-time champion. And maybe he's thinking about it a little bit differently. Now, monetarily, it doesn't make sense for Giannis to sign the extension in the first place, even if he did have two titles, because the NBA money is going to change next season. It's going to help the Bucs next season if Giannis signs it. It's going to lead to potentially other free agents that could, potent- could be on this roster. So I, I think Antetokounmpo knows that. Antetokounmpo is smart enough. I think the front office has probably told him that, that, hey, we, we really would prefer if you don't sign the extension. Um, we'll deal with the bullshit. There's going to be a lot of questions, but it would help us if you don't sign the extension. And Antetokounmpo, being the businessman that he is, and the whole article is about his business ventures, like he knows that next year is going to be a bigger contract because the TV money is going to come in, the salary cap is going to move up again, and Giannis can sign another big extension. So I, I think that is really the goal. And Giannis is certainly giving it a year trial period to make sure that things are are rolling in the right direction. And again, though, that's not anything new. Like that's what he's done for his entire career since he's hit this peak of being one of the best players, if not the best player in the NBA. So this should not come as a surprise to really anybody. This shouldn't be a shock that Antetokounmpo wants to win titles and wants to make sure that Milwaukee is staying committed to winning titles with him. He is putting their feet to the fire, and that's okay, and that is perfectly okay. As one of my followers, uh, my guy Dan Mosh pointed out, Antetokounmpo really needs a real shooting coach. He doesn't need one of his buddies. He needs to work on his shooting, needs to get better you know, at shooting the basketball. I, I completely agree with that. I completely agree that Giannis Antetokounmpo is not completely at fault here, that Giannis Antetokounmpo needs to also commit. He needs to also get outside his circle a little bit and try to find, you know, new ways to improve his game. He can't just be the same guys. He has to try, you know, different things. Uh, I, I do agree with that. And I, I think there hopefully will be some buy-in with Antetokounmpo about what, what might come. The one thing that I feel is interesting here and where, you know, it, it can kind of, we can kind of parse out who might be talked about is the commentary around, you know, sacrificing time away from my family. People have taken that as a shot at Drew Holiday, that Drew Holiday really wasn't involved, you know, this summer and that Drew Holiday is the sort of the shrapnel there. Because Holiday is a very much a family man, uh, you know, his wife, Lauren, I uh, think they have two kids, they may have three kids, uh, and Holiday is, you know, in, in California. And we do not really hear much about Drew Holiday, you know, in the offseason. Uh, he's very low-key, um, and there's really not much that we, we hear from Holiday. So I, I think that is, you know, related to him. I think that is a shot, essentially, at him, um, and that they want, you know, him to be ready for the season. They want to make sure that he is all in just like Antetokounmpo. Uh, and I, uh, I don't know if there's friction there. I don't know if, you know, there, he wants you know, another option, whether that's Dame Lillard. Um, you know, he did, there was a push for Bradley Beal 
And so I do wonder, is that is that basically going to be, you know, something to watch, you know, as the season goes on, whether they would move on from Holiday, whether they, you know, would try to upgrade and get a little younger by using Holiday's, you know, popularity. When I say popularity, it's not necessarily with the fans, it's with, you know, the writers, it's with the front offices. I think Drew Holiday has a, an incredible amount of respect in this league. But I, there, the playoff struggles are real. I also would push back on those who think that Drew Holiday can't do it in the playoffs. I think it, it comes down to the fact he's exerting so much defensively. It's like we learned nothing from P.J. Tucker. Like, remember P.J. Tucker, how bad he was offensively because he was dealing with Kevin Durant every goddamn day in the Brooklyn series? And we're like, wow, P.J. Tucker's a complete zero offensively. That's what Drew Holiday has to deal with. And I'm not excusing, like, what he, what Jimmy Butler did to him. I mean, that was pathetic. And I think we all know if Giannis was healthy, Giannis would have picked up Jimmy Butler. But he wasn't. He got hurt. And that, again, is another part of, like, why championships are hard. Because injuries happen, even to you. And so, I don't think Kumo can say what he wants about, yeah, he wants more than one championship. I, I want more, more than one championship as a fan of the Bucs. But at some point, you know, things are going to happen. You're not, luck's not always going to break your way. Championships are just inquisitively very hard because of all the little things that have to happen to get you a title. I would say, honestly, that Denver's title this year was one of the easier ones that we saw. But Denver was also really fucking good. They were better than everybody else in the NBA, far and away. And so I, I think that was a, a huge part of it, that Denver was the best team. And I don't know if I would say that now I'm going to get myself in trouble, but I, looking back at 2021, it's not the Bucs were the best team because that Suns team was really good, right? But they had breaks along the way and they, and they certainly caught them. And I'm sure if we dove back into Denver, the Denver series, I'm sure we could find moments where Denver also caught some breaks um, and that things worked out in their favor. So we'll, we'll certainly have to get into that. Um, I, I'll also leave you with this and something to think about uh, as the hot take artists, you know, get get off their takes. The Milwaukee Bucks have two expiring contracts next year with Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton. Uh, they'll, they'll be on one-year deals at that point. The Milwaukee Bucks also have three first-round picks available to them in that, you know, in that offseason. The Milwaukee Bucks can easily reset the deck and get get much younger. They were involved with, you know, Beal. They've, you know, kind of been around in that Damian Lillard conversation. Uh, so I, I don't think that the Bucks are going to just age out and then let Giannis go somewhere else. I think they're going to make a serious move. I do think that, you know, maybe another move this year could really help the organization. Um, I, I think the we didn't talk about the. Adrian Griffin relationship uh, that we can save that for another time. I, I think that it'll be fine. I don't think that that'll be an issue uh, between Antetokounmpo and Griffin. Antetokounmpo is just the guy that I think it takes him a little time to, you know, adapt to, to new coaching, right? Uh, he was uh, offended that Jason Kidd got, you know, fired and that was a big deal back in the day. You know, Giannis was open on Twitter, sad about Jason Kidd leaving. And then, you know, Jason Kidd or uh, Giannis was fine with Joe Prony. He was fine with uh, Mike Boonholzer. And, you know, the relationships were built pretty easily. And I think it's it's a matter of just showing loyalty to Giannis. And I, I don't think that should be a problem, hopefully, uh, with Adrian Griffin. 
And so I'm not entirely worried there. Uh, yeah, and and, I, and again, I, I would not freak out about what Giannis Antetokounmpo said to to the reporter. Uh, let everybody you know get their midsummer content, late summer content, uh, and it, it'll be all right. Uh, this this should not be an issue. It's just going to be something we have to deal with all season, and that's just life in life in the small market with a NBA superstar. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers are playing the San Diego Padres this weekend. Uh, it, I think earlier this year you would have saw that as a huge series uh, for the Brewers because the Padres would either be the NL West leader or they'd be one of the wildcard teams. San Diego Padres have been one of the more disappointing teams in all of baseball. Uh, it has not worked out well for San Diego. Uh, they've really fallen on hard times. Um, it's... They have a ton of talent. Uh, they are really, really talented. They still are having good years. Like you look at, you know, Hassan Kim has, has a 280, uh, batting average and Manny Machado has 24 home runs and Juan Soto has 24 home runs. And you ask yourself, like, why is this team bad? And it seems like they're a bunch of individuals and they're not really a team. And I, I get a lot of that from my guys at Divine Sports Gospel. You can follow them on, on Twitter if you want, you know, the Padres side of things. Uh, but. I, I I look at it and still think this is going to be a challenge for the Brewers. The Brewers still will have to treat this, you know, like a division leader uh, as they have since last Friday, and they, they need to keep things rolling. Uh, they're three and a half, I believe, up on the Cubs, or the Cubs got a game, so the Cubs are now three back or two and a half back. The Reds did lose uh, on Thursday. They both played, and the Brewers didn't. So now the updated standings, which we can get for you here. Cubs are three back. Excuse me. Cubs are three back now. Uh, the, the Reds are four back of the Milwaukee Brewers for that playoff spot. It's going to be, you know, a, a difficult series. It's not, it's not going to be easy. Uh, the Brewers seem to like the difficult ones. They seem to play down a little bit to the, the worst teams in the league. Uh, as we've seen, you know, whether that was the Washington series or the Pittsburgh series uh, a couple weeks ago. So it, it does seem like the Brewers live for this. I think the crowds are going to be massive uh, with the CC Sabathia game. I think Ben Sheets is getting honored on Saturday. The crowds were huge on Tuesday and Wednesday uh, in the fort, you know, fort near 40,000. Uh, it's the last week without football. You have high school football tonight. Uh, so I wonder if that will put a little bit of a dent uh, to your Friday crowd. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, not everybody obviously is locked in in terms of the the Friday, you know, emotion there of of the Friday night lights. So yeah, I, I still expect big crowds all weekend, and I, I think the Brewers have a good chance to take this series again. Uh, the pitching matchups are not, I wouldn't say in their favor. Well, they're they're kind of in their favor. They're kind of not. I mean, you have Woodruff against Hugh Darvish tonight. Uh, Brad Woodruff has been pretty solid since coming back from the IL. Uh, his only real issue has been the home run. Uh, he's given up five in, you know, those three starts and it seems like they happen, you know, second or third time through the order. So hopefully that there is some adjustment there, uh, for Woodruff. I think that's the, the big thing I'm watching in this game. Uh, Darvish has in the past had some road struggles. He's actually been really good on the road in his last two starts, uh, scoreless ball in Toronto and scoreless ball in Seattle. Uh, and it, it's been an up and down year for you, Darvish. But the, his August has been pretty solid. So, and then Darvish 
in the past has been very tough on Brewers. So I'm not I, I'm not expecting a lot of scoring. You know, we've seen a ton of scoring here. The weather has calmed down, so there there isn't necessarily the same sort of thing. Uh, Darvish also one time accused Christian Yelich of cheating. So hopefully there is uh, maybe some revenge uh, that the Brewers are serving for old you there. Uh, but yeah, the Brewers uh, in total, 165 against Darvish. They only have 18 hits. They do have six home runs, uh, which they have going for them. Carlos Santana and Christian Yelich both have two home runs against them. So hopefully, you know, that can continue. But I, I don't expect this to be a wild one. I think this is going to be, you know, a first two, three or four, you know, wins this game uh, because it's it should be a really good pitcher duel, a great matchup, you know, obviously with Woodruff and Darvish. And even though the Padres have struggled, they, they can pitch. And their bullpen has been shaky at times. Getting to Josh Hader has been an issue. Uh, they did get try to trade for Scar- Scott Barlow uh, to try to steady that. Uh, but so that that is where you can take advantage of this team. So even if the Brewers are trailing earlier, it's like one nothing or two one Padres, there still couldn't be an opportunity. I will also say with the Padres, they have struggled mightily in one run games. They've struggled in extras. They've been very bad in terms of tight games. Uh, they whether it's they've got tight, they just cannot seem to deliver clutch hits. Um, definitely something I think a twenty twenty two Brewer issue uh that they've they've struggled with i mean, divine was very upset uh after the marlins game where they lost three nothing and had the stats i'll see if i can find it because yeah it was uh it was pretty brutal uh what they were what they were dealing with i'll try to see if i can find it he went on quite the rant but the man is a media maven so he it's it's going to let's see if i can scroll through and find what find what he had put out there because it was it was bad like the numbers are really really offensive uh it's not it's not very good okay here it is they've had one walk off all year they're six and 19 in one run games uh on 10 and extras as mentioned uh and that if you put that with the brewers i believe the brewers are 24 and 10 in one run games this year so that if you're going to get into a pitcher's duel i think that you want to be the brewers and so that looks like Friday is is there. They have Pedro Oliva versus Freddy Peralta on Saturday. Oliva, a little bit of a nobody uh, in terms of that. He's not necessarily a big pitching prospect. He has pitched in the past uh, and a little bit in 2022 and then 2021. Yeah, so he's he's definitely a journeyman at 26. Uh, this is his first long-term time. In the big leagues, uh, he is his second start. His starts have gone well. Uh, the Brewers in the past have really struggled with these kind of guys. Uh, those unknowns where they don't really have a book on him. Uh, and hopefully, you know, that they turn that tide. You know, they've been very good for Freddie Peralta. The run support has definitely been there. Freddie's been amazing, uh, in this second half, as I've called him a second half ace. Uh, he struggled against San Diego very early in this season. Uh, so obviously Peralta will look to try to turn the tide on that. Uh, it seems like he is a different pitcher. It should be night and day for those Padres batters. Um, and definitely a game the Brewers have to have. Like that to me is the one they need to win because that the pitching matchups in their favor. Uh, Peralta's, you know, been very well, do, doing very well. And that's one you should win. They'll be probably a 160 favorite or something like that in terms of the batting line. So yeah. 
Peralta needs to take advantage there. And then on Saturday, Sunday is easily the toughest game for the Brewers. Michael Walker, who's been the ace of the Padres, Brewers have familiar, Brewer fans really have familiarity with Walker. I wouldn't say the Brewers players, but the Brewers fans have issues. Walker did blow up against the Brewers uh, earlier this year. Uh, they were, they tattooed him in San Diego, uh, but that was like one of Waka's few bad starts. He's been fantastic this season. Uh, and so it's kind of like the same thing we just talked about with Ray Peralta, right? Uh, yeah, April happened, but it's totally different uh, to what it is today. So uh, he goes up against Adrian Hauser, who's been pretty reliable uh, for the Brewers. It hasn't been perfect for Adrian Hauser, but he has been, you know, reliable. Um, has done well against, you know, sometimes those, you know, hard competitions and pitched pitched all right. Uh, so we'll see if Hauser can continue that. Uh, but yeah, definitely a series for the Brewers that is going to be struggling. You also can't look ahead to Chicago, you know, upcoming the following week. Um, and hopefully the Brewers can, you know, just keep trudging along. It's it's hard to expect them to keep winning baseball games, right? They've won five straight. Uh, it would be kind of absurd for another big sweep. But as long as you can kind of keep winning baseball games, I think you'll be good. I mean, I'll take two wins and then a loss on Sunday, um, getting ready for Chicago and making sure that everybody is well-rested for that series. Because let's be totally 100, you know, that Chicago series matters a hell of a lot more than than the Padres series. But they all matter at, you know, this point of the year. I mean, they could get swept this weekend and then Chicago wins all their games. Then all before you know it, we're tied heading into, heading into Wrigley Field on Monday, which is not a place I want to be uh, because Cubs are, it's a tough place to play. Uh, especially when the Cubs are good, uh, that and that place can sometimes be weirdly a house of horrors uh, for for the Brewers. Um, it, it's it, there's a lot of good moments in Wrigley, but there have been some weird, weird fucking games um, there as well. So Brewers got to just stay focused here this weekend against San Diego. I think with big crowds, with you know the Padres being a good baseball team, even though their record doesn't say they are, um, I think the Brewers are are going to be focused and and will you know succeed this weekend. So we'll we'll have to see and we'll certainly recap on Monday's show. I did want to, before we you know pivot out of the Brewers, talk about CeCe Sabathia, and he's going to be honored uh, at today's Brewer game. CeCe will throw out the first pitch. I'm sure he will be in the booth for uh, Valley Sports. CeCe, man, the CeCe t- 2008 run is something that I think we all just – it's, it's a great memory. It's a core memory for sports fans here in the city of Milwaukee. Uh, it's sort of the rebirth of the Brewers organization. Now, they would not get to the playoffs again until 2011. But still, that was that moment in time was just so different for the Brewers, right? After t- 2007, where the Brewers started off red hot and then they completely fell apart in the second half of the year because they were a very, very young team. You know, it was Ryan Braun, Prince Fielder, Ricky Weeks, J.J. Hardy, Corey Hart, like their first real experience with it. And Ramos Ramirez, you know, hit a walk-off home run that sent this team into a tailspin. I still remember where I was. I was waiting for an OAR concert uh, with my buddy Mike. Um, we had left for that OAR concert. The Brewers were up 5 nothing. It was a Friday afternoon game in Wrigley. And then when we got, we like, we're at the concert, you know, this is really before smartphones. Somebody's like, yeah, the Brewers lost 6-5 and Robinson Bears hit a walk-off. And that was the beginning of the end for that Brewers team. And they fell apart. And so then in 2008, 2008, 
Uh, they, you know, they get CC Sabathia. They're good again. They go all in to get Sabathia. They trade Matt Laporta, who at the time was the top prospect for the Brewers. I remember it was a Sunday. I remember driving around. I remember listening to Tim Allen and Sporky talk about getting CC Sabathia. I remember phone calls, people being concerned about trading Matt LaFlorida, being like, what are the Brewers doing? Matt LaFlorida is going to be a star, uh, which is very funny to look back on. I did not have anything at that point in terms of blog, podcast. So I, you know, I was just a fan at that point. Um, and it was just such an awesome day though. And then when CC took over, I, I got to see him live. He actually pitched nine innings. He, it wasn't a complete game because it went to the 10th. They beat the Reds in the 10th. It was the, he might have, I think he homered that day too. Uh, you'd have to look it up, but it was a Sunday. It was a Sunday before the all-star break and it, it was great. And they were playing the Reds and Dusty Baker and Dusty had some bad decisions. Like people forget that Dusty Baker wasn't exactly the best manager. Uh, you know, obviously he's won a world series and he's very well respected, but he was, there were some bad dusty moments in the past. And so I, I still remember that I was a sophomore in college. I started working at the Tosa rack. Uh, my guy, Andy, you know, would have us over. And I remember we would, you know, his parents would allow us to drink beers and stuff like that. And we were, we would be drinking beers, watching, you know, the, this brewer's run. And it was just an epic sort of year. And they, there was a lot of ups and downs. And then in September, you know, things were going sideways. Um, and the brewers really looked like they were going to collapse again. And they fired Ned Yost shockingly. It was a shocking fire. Um, I remember the Dave Bush game. I think that Nate, Ned Yost gets fired. They lose in Philadelphia. It might have been on a Matt Stairs walk-off. You have to fact check that. But Bush, you know, kind of did his Dave Bush thing. He had, I think he might have even had like a no-hitter going. Um, and then it all, it all fell apart. And that was the firing in Ned Yost. And I remember that because I was in college at the time. So I was able to, you know, obviously watch Brewer Day games. But I, I didn't watch that team as much. Uh, so I didn't get to enjoy the CC Sabathia one as much as some others because I was in football. Uh, I was playing football at the time for University of Eau Claire. Uh, when Sabathia threw his quote unquote no hitter, uh, the one hitter against Pittsburgh, which I'm sure Brian Anderson will mention because the Brewers broadcast does talk about it a lot. Uh, I was in, I was in practice that day and I remember everyone's like, Oh man, CC basically threw no hitter. Uh, which was incredible. And then the, the, the game itself, the Brewers Cubs game on Sunday afternoon. And remember also too, at that time, the Packer fandom was interesting because it was the first year of Rogers. So, you know, there was something that there that was kind of replacing it. And I, I didn't watch the Brewer Cub game. I've watched it back since, but that Brewer Cub game, I, I was not able to watch. It was at practice. And I forget, I don't even, again, you know, this is pre or right around as smartphones. I think it was before smartphones even it might, they might have just started, but people, there was somehow we got updates that, you know, see, I think we were just heading to practice and Ryan Braun had hit the home run. You know, it's Eau Claire. So there weren't as many like Brewer fans, right? It was, it was a little different and Ryan Braun had hit the home run. And then we hear the Mets lose and this whole thing. And I, I just remember being so excited at practice that day. Because it was like, oh my God, like this is, this is incredible, uh, that the Brewers, the Brewers have done this and that they got to the playoffs. And yeah, it did not go, go their way. They get swept by the Phillies, but it didn't really matter. It was just that the Brewers had got that long term playoff drought off their, their shoulders. Then 2011 became a rocket trip. And so really, I think what Sabathia means 
is just he's the start of this generation of the Milwaukee Brewers. And that's where I think he's held in, in such high regard. And so I, I really, you know, obviously thanks to Sabathia for that. As a as a Brewers fan, I think that, you know, we will always remember CC. We'll never really forget what Sabathia did uh for the Brewers organization. Uh and it's it's truly special. And uh it means a lot, I think, for for Brewers fans. And definitely something that you know cannot get lost. All right. Let's wrap up today's show. It's a shorter show today. Uh, hand up. I, I overslept uh, today, which is terrible. I was, taping, I was going to tape an early podcast. I overslept. It fucked everything up. So I, I apologize uh, for that. Uh, but the Packers and Seahawks get ready to play the last preseason game uh, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Jordan Love will be playing. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty good move for the Green Bay Packers. I know there's always the worry that you know Jordan Love could get hurt. Uh, but I, I think that you, you know, it's getting ready for game day, right? Uh, it's a noon start. Uh, he's going to have those. Uh, his first start at Lambeau is going to be a noon start. The weather is going to be pretty nice. It's not, the heat wave is kind of over. So that'll be, that'll be good for Jordan. Uh, and just get him acclimated to, you know, what game day is like on a noontime start. Yeah. The crowd will be different than it will be, you know, against New Orleans, um, in basically a month. But I, I think it's a good, you know, sort of acclimation period and let him get a couple snaps and again, get comfortable. How does it feel? You know, what is different between night games versus day games? I think all that shit's weirdly important. And I'm sure, you know, as Matt LaFleur is kind of a weirdo, I think he's going to appreciate that too. And we'll see, you know, who separates themselves and what does that 53 man roster look like, you know, after that Seahawks game. And we'll certainly talk about that on, on Monday show. Uh, definitely a breakdown of the 53 man is likely on deck so you guys can stay tuned for that I do want to talk about the safety position uh, for today's show and I, I think with the safeties uh, I am I would say slightly concerned I think it's obviously the blind spot in this Packers team uh, in general I think if you're like what are the two issues for Green Bay I think it's the youth of the team it's just the inexperience and it's the safety position I think those are the two things that everybody will point to um, I think the inexperience will actually be more of the national media talking point and the safety position will be more of the local talking point. They're giving Darnell Savage another try. Um, I, I'm on board with that, right? Uh, I think it's, it's definitely scary, uh, because we've seen the struggles that Darnell Savage had, but Darnell Savage is in a contract year. Um, he, you know, he wants to get paid. And if Darnell Savage has an amazing, you know, season, he's going to get a bag from somebody. Uh, I don't think the Packers will be the one giving him that bag, but he will get it from somebody. Everyone will forget, you know, what Darnell Savage was the last couple of years and we'll, we'll pay him because everyone has short memories and Savage knows that, uh, Packers know that they know he's paying, paying, playing for money. And I, I think that that matters. Like that shouldn't be the only thing, but you do see guys, you know, pick up their game a little bit in that contract here. Um, and I think Savage has made some comments that. You know, he's kind of rethought how, how to play the game of football. And I'm, I'm going to put my faith in that the Packers know what they're doing here. Um, I, I don't feel great about it. Uh, the free safety position, apparently Rudy Ford is going to get that job. He didn't exactly have the best training camp. Uh, Rudy Ford, you know, it, it, he had an initial like breakout and then it, it kind of trailed off as the year went on. Uh, and so we'll, we'll have to see. Um, that, that's going to be a big challenge. Rudy Ford certainly could have a Rasul Douglas, you know, like 
year where he takes a slight step back. Um, I'm not necessarily entirely on board with it, but look, if he's the one that wanted out versus Jonathan Owens or Chavius Moore, then, then good. Uh, that's, we'll, we'll ride with that. Um, I think all the guys have struggled in their own way. So there hasn't really been a great answer at free safety. I don't think bringing Adrian Amos back would have solved all of this. I, I think if you're complaining about Adrian Amos, uh, you didn't watch enough of the Packers in 2022. Amos was a liability uh, time and again for that team. So I don't really look at it like, oh, they needed to bring Adrian Amos back. I think really it comes down to they needed a draft of free safety. But I think if I think the Packers, or I think like the Packers, I, I try to do this all the time. Right? I think I tell you guys this. My approach about being critical of the team is I try to think like the team before I'm, you know, going with my hot takes and and trying to measure it out. And I, I think with probably Brian Gunacus's point of view was that there were things that were more important than the three safeties, and they felt like they could bridge the gap. Now, I did get Anthony Johnson Jr. He's had a minor knee injury. It seems like it's going to be okay. He is a seventh-round pick. Again, I don't I don't want to necessarily put a lot of stock in seventh-round picks. And he he did a lot. Of, he's done a lot on special teams, but we haven't necessarily seen it in terms of the defense yet for Johnson Jr. But I think for the Packers, it, they looked at it and they're like, all right, what are our biggest needs, you know, earlier in the draft? And getting a, you know, getting another couple wide receivers, getting, you know, more defensive line help for Kenny Clark, getting a backup quarterback in Sean Clifford. Those were things that mattered more than free safety. And, you know, we'll see how the, how that, that works for Green Bay. I, I do think if, you know, Green Bay is out and running, you know, we've always, we've always talked about, you know, the opposite of that, right? What if they're two and six, you know, around the deadline? What if they're six and two? What if they're seven and one around that deadline? You know, do they make a deal for a safety? Do they go out and get a safety? I think safeties are a gettable trade asset. I don't know if you're going to get, you know, some of the best safeties in the league. Like you're probably not getting Jordan Poyer, right? I think Jordan Poyer is a free safety, <laughs> but you're not getting, you know, one of the better free safeties in the league, but you, you probably are going to get one, you know, on a team who's wanting draft picks, whether that's like an Arizona Cardinals and a Buda Baker. Uh, would be a, a better, much better example than my Jordan Poyer. Buda Baker, you know, is a guy who's still once out of Arizona, uh, will be a guy that's highly coveted. Um, and I, I think that would be a number one option for Green Bay if they do need help at the safety position. Now he's more of a strong safety than a free safety, but you can figure that out. Uh, and, you know, I think Buda would, you know, cure a lot of issues, uh, that you'd have at that safety position if you're going to make a deal such as that. And I think the Packers can address that during the season and they have a lot of options. I think that's, I guess the other thing, I know it's like, if you have three safeties, you don't have one safety. I get that, but at least you do have options. So Rudy Ford, I, I think is there by name only. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Moore gets a chance. I don't want to be surprised if Owens gets a chance, you know, and I, I will say this, the next, the first guy that can, "Quote unquote," take the top off off the off the defense early this season is maybe Jared Goff. Even that, even then, I don't. I feel weird saying that uh, Jared Goff doesn't necessarily have that great of an arm. So you look at the quarterbacks they're facing in the first five weeks; they do have a, a chance to really acclimate the the guys at safety. Uh, whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's Desmond Ritter, whether it's uh, Derek Carr, and Jared Goff. And Jimmy Garoppolo. So like those are not a premier uh, batch of quarterbacks, especially in terms of passing the football. I do worry a little bit uh, about the tight ends. You know, Cole Clement, 
it's a lot of it's a lot of talent, but we haven't necessarily seen it on the field because you have Cole Clement, you have Kyle Pitts, you have nobody really for the Saints. You have Juwan Johnson, so you you don't have to really worry about it from against the Saints. And then you have Sam Laporta, who's had a really good camp uh, for the Lions. And then you have nobody again for the Las Vegas Raiders. So I, it'll be interesting. You interested to see you know how the safety position holds up. It's definitely a concern, and I think if the middle of the field struggles, you know, in terms of the passing game early in the year, everyone's going to freak out, and everyone's going to be mad about the safeties, and you're just going to have to kind of grip on for dear life. We'll we'll have to see, you know, how it all transpires. All right, that does it for – oh, I was going to mention the piss missile versus seed. I had a question of if a piss missile could be known for pass. I've usually used it for a home run. I think it can. I was thinking about this. I think it certainly can be. Um, I, I never really I'm like, oh, you know, Jordan Love, you know, unleashes a piss missile, you know, for a touchdown. I I, I, I like Seed. Um, I, but, yeah, piss missile is from Jared Travis of DraftKings, formerly Barstool. Uh, and he's talked about that for home runs. Uh, but I, I do think, yeah, you could use piss missile for a pass. It would have to be a certain type of pass. It's not like a deep pass. But I also don't think a seed is a is a deep like I think like a deep pass is a dime, right? Through a dime, through you know that to me is like a dime, and then a seed is like a really fast pass, which is also could be a piss missile, a rocket launcher, uh, flamethrower. Um, those are other things you use. So I, I think piss missile can work. So my verdict is you can use piss missile. I, I maybe we'll try it out uh, this weekend if Jordan Love throws one. Uh, so we'll have to see. So stay tuned on Twitter, Captain Tag. Uh, for that one. All right. That does it for today's show. Uh, sorry for all the delays today. Uh, hopefully it will not happen again. Uh, <laughs> this is a case for why you just stay up and you do the podcast and you sacrifice sleep. But uh, that's another story for another time. All right. Take care, guys. Have a good weekend. We'll see you Monday. Bye.